When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Matthew Wright Show on Crucible of Broadcast Excellence. Talk Radio. Put it on and keep it on. Too busy to catch us on the afternoons on Talk Radio? Too many children to care for? Too many jobs to manage? Well, never fear. Help is here in the shape of the Matthew Wright Podcast, where we cut down three hours of entertainment and enlightenment every afternoon into tiny, bite-sized morsels just for you, you busy so-and-so. So sit back and enjoy the best of the Matthew Wright Show here on Talk Radio. Now, the Italians, they've been told broadly, haven't they? Stay at home, the whole country's in lockdown. The French have closed their schools. The Irish, likewise, and have uh, been told to self-isolate, which can only mean one thing over there, uh, heading to the nearest pub. Here in the UK, though, it's uh, broadly business as usual, and no wonder our chief scientific advisor wants 60% of us to actually catch COVID-19. Uh, Sir Patrick Valance uh, has defended the government's approach to tackling coronavirus, saying the aim is to create herd immunity across the population. Now, you may be aware that... Jeremy Hunt, the former health secretary, has been, um, well, really quite uh, openly critical of Boris Johnson's approach. Uh, He's concerned that the government is still allowing schools to stay open and large gatherings to go on as normal. Um, So um, who is right and who is wrong? I'm going to turn for guidance here to a professor, Professor Anthony Costello at uh, the UCL Institute for Global Health and a former World Health Organization director. Anthony joins us now. Good afternoon to you, sir. Good afternoon. So, um... I always think it's always confusing when politicians and scientists collide and uh, deliver mixed messages here, but Jeremy Hunt seems to be on a very different page to Boris Johnson and Patrick Vallance. Yes, and I think uh, he's right to raise some concerns. I mean, it's very important that we all stick together, and I have a lot of confidence in Chris Whitty, our chief medical yes. officer, who's an excellent academic medic, uh, specialist in infectious diseases. Likewise, um, Patrick Valance and the like. And they've got difficult decisions to make, of course. But this emphasis on herd immunity that came up in the press yes. conference yesterday and again in the radio this morning, I mean, I'm really quite worried about this because if we're sending the message we want everyone to get infected, is this going to reduce our efforts to restrict the immediate epidemic and cause more infections and more deaths? We also know from the World Health Organization that Uh, People who get this infection very early on shed the virus, and it's now thought that a lot of people early on or with no symptoms are infectious. So therefore, that would argue that we do need not just to ask people to isolate when they get symptoms, but to take very strong measures for social distancing like every other country. You know, end of mass gatherings. Think about school closures. I mean, Singapore did a 
a kind of strategic policy where where there were clusters of infections, they would close the schools. And we need to set up that national plan to make sure that all of our communities, districts, GPs, um, workplaces are on board and that we're setting up a system for testing, screening, you know, setting up like they did in China, CT scans to know whether people have got pneumonia or not, isolation and the like. I didn't hear that yesterday. I heard this rather you know, saying, well, a lot of people are going to get it. Let's let them get it because there will be a second peak in China. We don't know that. And so I do have considerable concerns about the policy Could, as they currently explain. I, I might return to some of those concerns in just a moment, um, Professor, but can you just explain herd immunity? I've only ever understood the concept in relation to vaccines where I, I was, yeah. uh, you're sort of introducing dead virus in, into a community to stimulate um, an immune reaction. How does it work with, with, with COVID-19? Well, we don't know. And that's, well, that's the worry, right. <laughs> that's, that's, the worry uh, is um, there's very little, actually. I was looking this up this morning and, uh, you know, I found a paper on the, the whole immune response is written by the Chinese, actually. Right. And a lot to be found out. Now, the, the worry is, is it like flu? I mean, flu induces some immunity, but every year you'll get a different strain infecting you. Yes. And we don't know. But the answer also is we'll know from China fairly soon. The big gap in knowledge in this epidemic is that we haven't done serological testing. That is testing for immunity and antibodies in the whole population because we haven't had those tests. They're now coming online. And I think within a month or two, we should have some results from China and other countries to know Maybe there is herd immunity. Maybe it is being created. But but, an, but, but an, this an, should not affect our policies now. Well, I don't, it's, on this condition. Would, would it be fair to say? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it does strike me that Sir Patrick Vallance is talking, in essence, about a gamble with regards to uh, exposing, well, wanting sixty percent of the UK population to, to get the virus. Well, he might be right. Uh, yes, long-term. yes, but that's a gamble. But the problem, yeah, the problem at the moment. This is a very serious virus. I mean, this is not the flu. Chris Whitty yesterday said, look, uh, he thought the mortality rate was about 1%, even though, you know, China was saying it was about 3%. But if it's 1%, that's 10 to 20 times the death rates of seasonal flu, which kill 30,000 people in the UK each year. Do the math, that's 100 9-11s. You know? That's a big, big issue. And on top of that, Take Italy. They, Italy, 13 days ago, had the same number of infections as we have reported now, 600. They've now got well over 15,000. They've got 1,500 people in intensive care. Can I I ask you, do you think we're going to be in a similar situation in two weeks' time? I mean, we we seem to have taken fewer, fewer, uh, uh, fewer measures and less severe measures too than the Italians. I think we, whether it's two weeks or four weeks, as Patrick Vallance says, he says four weeks. I've been looking at other models which suggest it will be quicker than that. Uh, People are saying, and of course all modelling is is fraught with uncertainties, but at at the moment, the, the models I was looking at, they said we're 13 days behind the Italians, the Americans are 11 days, the French and the Germans are about eight or nine days. And I see that there's been a big increase in France and Germany. Um, the doubling time is around four days yeah. at the moment. 
So you can do the math and work it out if we're at six, seven hundred today. I mean, six hundred was yesterday's figure. Um, and you can work out where we're going to be. The Matthew Wright Show on Talk Radio. I could understand why markets were in a spin last night mm-hmm. and the prospect of global catastrophe. What I don't understand is why things are massively improved today. European stocks are rebound on their best day in a decade. <laughs> uh, no one's found a cure for coronavirus, as far as I can understand. So what is behind this, uh, this extraordinary yo-yoing in the markets? And really, most pertinently of all, what do these sort of stock market crashes, these huge fluctuations, actually mean in real terms to real people like you. We're joined by Sarah Benwell, financial journalist and consumer champion. Good afternoon to you, Sarah. Good afternoon. Um, so, can you explain why uh, the uh, the markets have bounced back so uh, vigorously this today? I mean, it, it's always hard to tell how markets are reacting. <laughs> yes. Sometimes there's really obvious things. So, for instance, as you mentioned with Trump's speech, people weren't very reassured by that. Is no. it like he weren't taking, wasn't taking things seriously? That makes markets, um, it makes them jittery, it makes investors uncertain, and it makes markets crash. Some of the things that may have improved the situation, particularly in Europe, you know, um, the UK bank has slashed interest rates, the UK government has announced its plans on what it's planning to do about coronavirus, and you tend to find that whenever there's something that leads to a little bit more certainty, markets it's calm down and improve, and then the second sort of thing seems like it's not going particularly well. Investors panic and it drops again. So they're, they're looking for, for leadership uh, to uh, presidents, prime ministers and such like to actually be seen to putting money into the economy. Germany had a big financial boost earlier, and I think France too. Yeah, so I think whenever you see any of the central banks introducing measures that are likely to soothe the economy, whether that's slashing interest rates or potentially down the track announcing any quantitative easing or anything like that, that tends to people, but also shows of, shows of strength from government when they look, it looks like there's a political plan, right. when it looks like the disease might be contained. Those sorts of things have positive impacts. But what I will say is, it's going to continue to be very volatile for the next couple of months at least. You know, as we go through these cycles of hearing more about it spreading, of hearing more people getting sick, new countries, more things being cancelled, that's going to make people nervous. You'll see drops again, then there's the improvements. It's going to go up and down a lot. Well, can you can you then do to do the impossible, or the, I think the near impossible, and explain to the vast majority of the people listening, myself included, as to why dramatic fluctuations in stock markets from Buenos Aires to to to, to, to Singapore, what what does that mean to me, uh, to Kevin, to the team, the production team, to everybody? What how is it actually going to affect us? So there's a few things. So in terms of the stock market specifically, most people have exposure to stock markets in one way or another. Some of them have very obvious exposure because they're investors. So they yeah. either have a stocks and shares ISO or they invest in, they stock pick themselves. And that means they've got, um, they've got exposure. And if the markets do well, their investments will do well. If the markets do poorly, their investments will do less well. Now, can I ask you on, on that point uh, straight away. What's the time frame? Because we've seen a market crash and then the biggest recovery in a decade. How is that going to impact short, medium and long term on a regular consumer? So I think so. for investments and pensions, the other thing I was going to mention is everybody has um, exposure through their pensions to yes. investors. Generally speaking, when you invest in the stock market, you're, you're looking at a more than five year time horizon. Investments are supposed to be long term in nature. Right. So the advice generally should be sit tight. It's okay that the markets have crashed. 
it looks horrible, and I get this. I looked at my investments today ahead of this call, and it is, it's not an attractive picture. But the fact is that unless you really need to take your money out in the short term, it shouldn't matter at all. Right. And actually, counterintuitively, now is quite a good time to, to invest because you're buying <laughs> relatively cheap. Okay, um, okay. Now, there's, there, there's a logic to that. Um, do, does it affect us uh, through state pensions as well? It won't affect your state pension. State pension rises are governed by a triple lock, which is the highest of three different measures. So the fact that stock market judiciary shouldn't affect right. your state pension at all. It may affect your private pension, but again, that's a really long way away. So you're probably okay. The people who might be concerned are people who have already retired or people who are about to retire. And for those two people, it cut, how severely you're affected will depend a little bit on what you're planning to do with your money. So if you've bought an annuity, you're fine. It makes no yeah. difference. If you've got a final salary pension, you're fine, largely. It makes no difference. But if you're one of the millions of people who are choosing to go into drawdown, yeah. so your money stays invested, it's going to make a huge difference because taking money out of the stock markets when they're low means that you lock in those losses. You don't have the chance for your money to rebound and to grow back and to make money back. For those people who want to think about what they should do is see a financial advisor, but the other thing they're going to want to think about is, do I have any cash savings that I can use in the short term rather than taking money out of my investments while they're low? And things like that. So those people are going to be affected by the stock markets in in the sort of short and near term. The Matthew Wright Show on Talk Radio. Throughout the phone hacking scandal, it became clear that we Brits regard privacy as our sacred right. So it seems rather surprising that the Ministry of Justice has just given the green light to broadcasting courtroom divorce cases. Judges are to be given the power to decide which marital battles are live-streamed from the Court of Appeal. The emotionally charged footage will be there to watch on the Judiciary website, YouTube, Facebook and Twitter. TV channels and other media outlets will also be able to screen clips from the legal action. The film will go out on a one-minute safety delay to guard against screening explosive outbursts or disruptions. Oh, that that makes you feel loads better. Exactly. I I, I suppose... My ex-wife could do an hour-long, non-stop, uh, expletive-ridden... Screaming match if required. Yeah, One ex- minute wouldn't cover I any of it. I expect you to take a, a, a central role in the upcoming <laughs> debate, by the way. On the plus side, couples mortified by the prospect of their broken relationships becoming available for public assumption will be allowed to object and possibly veto the broadcasting of their cases. The news comes as Judge uh, Mr Justice Hoffman slammed the secrecy surrounding family courts as an abomination. Uh, let's talk to a family lawyer at Slater Gordon, Lorraine Harvey. Hello, Lorraine. Hi. Afternoon to you. Yeah, I I mean, we're all for uh, transparency and openness in the justice system, but people involved in divorce cases, uh, they're not criminals, they haven't done anything wrong. Won't filming their cases be uh, a gross invasion of their privacy? Well, I mean, that's one way of looking at it, but the statement that's come out from the Ministry of Justice is that um, it's cases of public interest, really, that people will be streaming. Um, The average couple going through a divorce um you know there isn't going to be the same public interest as there would be um as you know the recent cases about islamic faith marriages and access to uh, fertility records there's been quite a few high profile cases um that have been live streamed uh, in particular the, the recent case about transgender identity they are seem to have a you know people have a public interest in those types of cases and it will be those in the future that people will be viewing um, if, you know, they, if they're uh, that interested, why don't they just go to court and have a look? 
Well, you think so, but people now nowadays are so reliant on um, YouTube and social media. They like to sit sit at home and just browse mm. the um, internet. And Can I ask you, so Lorraine, Lorraine, why why are uh, we uh, all set to broadcast the cases of uh, criminally innocent couples when we're not going to broadcast uh, accused criminals accused of terrible crimes? I why they, they might be innocent? I suppose. Well, yeah, I mean, there's obviously some restrictions around some of these cases and, um, you know, children, cases involving children, there's going to be some uh, protection, those types of cases, or where there are vulnerable adults, we do need to protect uh, their interests. I mean, the media won't have access to seeing any court documents um, and the people in court will have no obligation whatsoever, of course, to speak to uh, any media because there is uh, a sense of... um, privacy there but yeah i appreciate this is going Would to be you, a big change when i was doing my essential law for journalists uh, as part of my uh, journalism training i can remember very clearly uh, the tutors explaining why uh, family court was excluded uh, and uh, in holding camera and about the the private and uh, and personal nature of uh, of the hearings and the fact that there's no criminal uh, uh, attachment to them and mm. i can appreciate that that leads to concerns that justice in the family court is not being seen to be done. I do get that. Mm. But I'm not entirely sure I can reconcile that with, well, let's put cameras in divorce courts. It seems to go yeah. against the very spirit of, of why uh, family court was in camera. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I have to say. Okay, it's OK. It, it, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, you know, in the future. It is something that has been piloted since 2018, um, and, the, and the feedback has been very positive. Okay. Obviously, a couple, a couple can object to it, and ultimately, it'll be up to the judge who has discretion as to whether or not um, it should be live streamed. And because um, you know, wouldn't it be fascinating? As uh, with my ex-wife, we couldn't agree on anything, even how to divorce, when to divorce, why mm. we even got married. I do not know. <laughs> but the, 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 the idea that our respective briefs would have said to us, "So, uh, you can choose as to whether you you want this in camera or on camera." And I could immediately see one of us saying "on camera" and the other one saying "in camera." Yeah. Yeah. And then having another row. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess if you're already in court, there's very little that you're able to agree on. <laughs> uh, Lorraine, as, as a journalist, well, we're both journalists, you know, I do believe in transparency. I don't like secrecy, but I don't quite understand why Mr Justice Hoffman uh, yesterday slammed the uh, secrecy surrounding family courts, and I quote, as an abomination. That's a really strong term to use, yes, don't you yes. think? Yes. <laughs> It is, and I, I expect there'll be lots of applications to say, um, you know, opposing this because the average couple will say, well, why would anybody want to know about my uh, financial settlement? And ultimately, yeah. the judges, are, it, it's cases that are going to be in the Court of Appeal and, you know, it will be cases of public interest. Um, previously, uh, to Chris Holmes' case, obviously that was reported on, wasn't it? Yes. So, um, there will be other cases that follow where the judge will override it and determine whether or not there is a public interest. And obviously always bearing in mind if there are children then we've got to protect their vulnerability um, and their privacy so there will be a number of restrictions that will have to be put in place and there is some talk about you'll only be able to see the back of your um, the back of the council you won't be able to identify the the legal team from the side so it's not going to be quite as it is in in the states at the moment No but um, when you say matters of of public interest and I'm immediately thinking well the red top tabloids will say any celebrity divorce would be a matter of public interest which is I would say a, a further 
possibility of intrusion in, into celebrity lifestyles, politicians, the great and the good likewise. So mm. what we're actually talking about is I could imagine a system which actually, if, if you're going down and using public interest as a defence, apart from sort of cases which uh, maybe uh, focus on a point of law or such like, the rest of it's going to be celebrities and it's just another opportunity to cash in on their fame, I guess. Mm, yeah, yeah. But like I say, I, I suspect a lot of celebrities will oppose it because... Yeah. Uh, but it's down to the judge to decide. It is, it is down to the judge and balancing the, the needs of the... Um, or the, the public's interest against the, um, the needs of the privacy of you know, the party. Could, could you imagine a situation where a judge faced by two people divorcing, neither of whom want to be on camera, overruling them? I can. I gosh, can. gosh. You know, um, I think, you know, those the, the cases that they, they've spoken about um, where, you know, they are reported very heavily, like the transgender case last yeah, year. Yeah. Um, I suspect a case like that, despite... Um, you know, the parties involved objecting, that will be overruled. And if you enjoyed all of that, make sure you tune in to The Matthew Wright Show with Kevin O'Sullivan every weekday from 1 on Talk Radio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.